And uh, we started this series, and we'll be going for the next uh, several weeks throughout the month of April and then into May on the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the second in the series. We began this last Sunday morning, and this morning we're, we're going to do part two, which deals with joy. And the text for this is in Galatians chapter 5, if you'd like to read it along with us, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You might have noticed that as I read these, I read, the, I read them in triplicates. And I'll talk more to you about that as we go along. But there's a reason for that. It seems that the Holy Spirit, as he put this together, giving us the Word of God, that, that these there are three sets of three here that go together. For example, the first three that we're dealing with right now deal with the emotions. How about those people that don't think there's supposed to be any emotion involved in serving the Lord or in your experience of the Lord? Um, well, I'm not, I'm not hyper-emotional. I know we're not saved by emotions, but at the same time, you can't have a born-again experience be regenerated, be washed in the blood of Jesus, be born again, changed from your name written on the Lamb's book of life without it touching your emotions. And the first three fruit of the Spirit deal totally with your emotions, love, joy, and peace. Those three, that, that first little triplicate that we're dealing with right now. So we're going to deal today with, with joy. Uh, how many are glad that you have joy today? And Amen. You got joy of the Lord joy of the Lord just strength. Praise God. You know, this little word joy occurs 60 times in the New Testament. The verb rejoice, which is a manifestation of joy, is found 72 times in the New Testament. You get the idea that the New Testament is a book of joy, don't you? It, it should be. That's why we call it gospel. It's good news. And that's something to rejoice about. We have good news. Jesus came and died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. What a blessing. What a blessing. Well, let me define joy for you, and, and then we'll move into the message today. Coming from a little Greek word, kara, and we get the word charis out of that, talking about grace and so forth. But, but this, this joy, it's, it, it is literally a, a grace of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a, uh, defined as an inter-assurance that provides contentment even in the face of adversity. It's indifferent to circumstances that determine happiness. And it's very important that you understand the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening. It's based on circumstances. If your circumstances are good, you can be happy. It's hard to be happy when your circumstances are not good. Joy um, involves an expression of happiness but joy is much wider. Joy is much deeper. Joy, the circumference is much greater. And joy is not determined by the circumstances. We can have joy in spite of the circumstances. So, so joy, yes, joy is a, uh, we're going for it. The reason we have joy as children of God is because we've been reconciled to God. 
In fact, Paul said in Romans 5 and 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice. In other words, we express our joy because or, or through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because we have received reconciliation. In other words, there is a deep inter assurance in the child of God that we have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can rejoice in that. We have joy in that. So let's look at this thing of joy. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the fact that joy has to do with attitude. Attitude. Uh, how many of you are old enough that you had parents that still believed in attitude adjustments? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad was big on that. Um, if my attitude got all bent out of shape, he, he always felt like he could change it. And, um, and, and, and he could. Uh, you remember I told, it's sort of like that learning and taught thing of my dad. You know, I've told you the story when I was a little boy in school one day, they, they were telling us the difference between teach and learn. And they said, you can teach somebody something, but you can't learn somebody something. You have to learn on your own. You can't learn. Well, my dad would use that. He, he said, I'll learn you boy. And, um, and so I don't know what I did, but, but he told me that. He said, I'll learn you, boy. And I, I t with my newfound knowledge from grammar school, I said, you can't learn me anything. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> my daddy learned me something that day, I'll guarantee you. And, and it's that way with attitude. You know, my, my dad just felt like he could do something about a bad attitude, and, and he could. And he did. He didn't talk to me a lot about it. He would just, uh, he would just make a statement like, uh, get your attitude straightened up, boy. And I knew exactly what that meant. That spoke volumes to me about what I needed to do. You know, kids can cop an attitude when they're real little. And it's our job as parents to help them to, to learn and mature and grow and develop so that they can have control over this thing called attitude. Later on, they become teenagers. Um, and wow, uh, boy, they can really cop an attitude then. And dad gave me no slack because of teenage years. He didn't have any appreciation for that. He still did attitude adjustments all through those times. And so, but but joy is, is an attitude. It's, it's something that the Holy Spirit develops within us that that is there to respond to our circumstances. Now, I want to give you a marvelous example from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, in fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to read a long sermon. It's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus gave us. And you'll have to read Matthew 5, which is a long chapter. You'll have to read Matthew 6, and then you'll have to read Matthew 7 if you're going to get all of the Sermon on the Mount because it's a lengthy sermon. But right at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus gave the Beatitudes. Beatitudes has to do with attitude. Jesus gave us the Beatitudes. 
right at the beginning of that. In, in, in fact, you'll find them in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. I'm not going to read them all at one time, but I, I, will, I am going to go through them because it's amazing how they correspond with the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, early in his ministry, gave us this message and talked to us about uh, what our life is supposed to be like and what our attitude is supposed to be like, knowing that we don't have the ability within ourselves alone to do this, but also knowing that he is going to send us eventually the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Remember, even John the Baptist, the forerunner, said, you know, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one standing in our midst that's going to baptize you. He's got a baptism too. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And this joy that I'm talking about comes as a result of the Holy Spirit working and operating in our lives. And so Jesus starts way back here in Matthew chapter 5, and he talks to us about some attitudes. We call them beatitudes. Each of these start with the word blessed or blessed, however you want to say it, uh, in the beginning of this. Now, some have translated that word blessed or blessed to be happy. In fact, several years ago, there was a well-known televangelist that wrote a book. I, I read the book uh, called The Be Happy Attitudes. I don't know if you've read that or not, but Be Happy Attitudes. I've done a little more research into that word, and while, while it's, it's not a violation of the original uh, word to say, uh, to translate it as happy, it encompasses more than that. I think that we would be best served to, to call it joyful be joyful, the be joyful attitudes instead of just the be happy attitudes. Because remember, happy is based on circumstance. Jesus talks about something greater than that. So, so let's look at these um, beatitudes, will you? Um, the first one he starts off with, he says, blessed or joyful are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Joyful, we're joyful if we know that. Now, here, here's what he's, when he's talking about being poor in spirit, he's not talking about being beat down. And, and, and so we're, we become poor in spirit when we realize that we are literally not just impoverished, we're bankrupt when it comes to providing salvation for ourselves. We can't do it. The most miserable people that I ever run into that profess to be Christians are people who are trying to work their way to heaven. We don't get there by works. And yet there are religions that profess to be Christians who still teach uh, salvation by works. They get a, people have, and a lot of people have this idea that when you get to the judgment <clears throat> that he's going to bring out the scales, he's going to put all your good works on one side and all your bad works on the other side and whichever one outweighs the other gets you up or down. Folks, that's not the way it is at all. In fact, the last thing you want on that scale of God's justice is your works of any kind. I don't want my works on the scale. I want his works on the scale. Amen. Amen. I'm not saved by what I've done. I'm saved by what Jesus did. And so the poor in spirit are those who have realized that. They've come to a point that they recognize that they're absolutely insufficient in and of themselves, but they are relying upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
so we can be joyful even though we're poor in spirit or because we're poor in spirit. We can be joyful because the kingdom of God is ours through Jesus Christ. The second one, he said, blessed or happy or joyful are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, to mourn is to grieve. Now, this is not some sort of a sadistic religion where God wants us to go around grieving all the time. And yet at the same time, those who are in love with Jesus, those who have been reconciled to God, those who are in the family of God and have a personal relationship with God, know that there's some things that hurt the heart of God. And we grieve over those things. You know, the apostle Peter says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of God. And yet there are people in spite of the fact that Jesus gave his life. There are people that are going to ignore that. There are people that are going to reject that. There are people that God loves and Jesus died for that are going to miss the mark and go to hell. And we should mourn over that. We should grieve over that um, in our own spirit. And, and he said, if we do, we will be comforted. In other words, the Holy Spirit that bears the fruit in our lives, he will comfort us in that. Now, how are you going to get comfort over something in your morning? Or you see some results? Or by faith, you believe in some results that are coming? I've shared with you a little bit about our family situation related to my dad. He had a, came from a large family, about nine kids, three boys, and the boys were really bad. My dad spent time in the Atlanta penitentiary. All three of the boys struggled with alcohol and gambling and, and all sorts of things that uh, were bad in their lives. And my grandmother... I never got to meet her. She died before I was born, my grandmother on my daddy's side. And, um, but I, I had this confirmed. My wife and I were up in Hiawassee several years ago, and we met a lady who knew my grandmother. And I said to this lady, I have heard the story that my grandmother died with calluses on her knees from praying for her boys. And she confirmed it. She said, I know that to be a fact. She said, in fact, when I was just a young girl in my early teens, I got saved. And my, my family, my daddy in particular, abused me because of my salvation. And he would beat me when he'd find out I, I went to church. And she said, I used to get off of the bus and I had to walk that three quarters of a mile back through Scataway Creek, uh, holla back in there to get to where we lived. And I would always stop at your grandmother's house and she would pray with me and it would give me the courage to go home and face my daddy who wanted me to renounce uh, what I had found in the Lord and oftentimes would beat her for that. And, and, and so she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and, and she prayed and uh, let me tell you how you're comforted. You're, you're comforted when you see your prayers answered or you have the assurance that they're going to be answered. Now, my grandmother didn't live to see those boys saved. My daddy was four, about almost 41 years old when he got saved. But he lived the second, he lived to be 82. He lived the second 41 years of his life as on fire for God as he lived the first 40 years of his life on fire for the devil. Amen. 
And, and so though she went to heaven, I believe she probably saw it. I believe she's in that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. But be that as it may, she was comforted by the Holy Spirit to know that God was going to answer her prayers and save her children. And my daddy's younger brother was saved. He got under conviction sitting on a bar stool drinking liquor. That's not what convicted him. It was the Holy Spirit that came on him while he was drinking liquor, sitting on a bar stool. And, and it overwhelmed him to the point that he had to rush out of the bar to, to, so nobody would see him crying. And he had to find a place where he could get down on his knees and give his heart to Jesus. He became a preacher. I got saved under his ministry. Let, let me tell you, God's able to do it. The, the comfort of the Holy Spirit for those who are, listen, don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your prayer requests. Don't give up on the vision that God has given you. Stay in there with it. Amen. God will give you the comfort and courage that you need to go forward. Then he said, be happy or be joyful, all of you that are meek, for you're going to inherit the earth. I love this one. Now, don't confuse meekness with weakness. That's, they're not interchangeable at all. Meekness literally is strength under control. And uh, <clears throat> the, the meek are going to inherit the earth. Right now, right now, it looks like the aggressive politicians, dictators, and, and, and ISIS, and, and all of these, you know, military might, it looks like they're going to control the earth. <laughs> you hadn't read this, if you believe that. No, 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 no. Listen, I love to think about going to heaven. I plan to go there when I die by the help and the grace of the Lord. And I love the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and all of that. But John saw the city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. I believe it's a little planet that's going to come close to the earth. And we're going to have glorified bodies after we're changed. Those of you that are raptured or resurrected, if you've already died, we're going to have glorified bodies and we're probably going to be able to travel back and forth between Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. But there's going to be a thousand years reign on this earth and we're going to inherit the earth. The meek, those, (laughs) they call us politically incorrect. They look down their long crooked noses at us now and think we're nothing. (laughs) Listen, we're going to run this place after a while. God's going to give it to us. It's our inheritance. Amen. Think about it. I've already asked to be governor of Georgia. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be fun. So just stay humble and serve God. Amen. Let the arrogant and the smart alecks and all of these folks, let them go ahead and do whatever they're going to do. Just don't get all bent out of shape over it. I know some people that are just, they just almost ready to have a nervous breakdown because of the whole political climate in our country right now. Don't get upset about that. Amen. We're going to inherit the earth. Jesus is Lord of Lords. Jesus is King of Kings. Amen. Read the end of the book. We're okay. Praise God. Then he said, 
Joyful are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is, this is one of the most important verses in the entire Sermon on the Mount. It may be one of the most important verses in the entire New Testament. It tells us that but it's the foundation of, of our whole Christian life, the hungering and thirsting after God. That's what determines our level of joy in the Lord and our experience with him, our hunger and our thirst after him. When you read through the Bible, you have many examples. I could sit up here for hours and talk to you about examples from the scripture of men and women who really hungered and thirsted after God. Think about Moses, for example. He got so hungry for God one time. He's up on a mountain with God and he started, but he said, oh God, I just show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, Moses, I can't do that. If I do that, if I show you my glory, you cannot take it physically. If I were to give you a full manifestation of my glory, your physical body couldn't stand it. You, you'd die. He said, but Lord, I, I, I just, I'm so hungry for you. I'm so thirsty for your presence. So finally God said, I tell you what, he said, there is a place by me. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that when you're reading the Exodus. I, I love that. There's a place by me. I've been fasting and praying for that place. I, Lord, I want, I want to get in that place that Moses got in. I want to get, there's a place by me. And, and he said, come on up here, Moses. And, and, and he put him in a cleft of the rock. And then he put his hand over the rock. And he let his glory pass by. And then he lifted his hand and let let Moses get a little glimpse of the after effect of the glory of God. And it so affected him when he came down to the mountain. They had to put a veil over Moses' face because he was so aflame, a, a, a glow with the glory of the presence of Almighty God. All oh, the hunger and the thirst after God. David, God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. In other words, David said, Lord, I just want to know you. I just, in fact, David made a statement one time. He said, I shall, be, I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. You could, you could flip that to the negative side and say, I, Lord, I'm just not going to be satisfied until I awaken your likeness. He had such a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for God. We could look in the New Testament, men like the Apostle Paul, who so longed for the presence of God till he was caught up into the third heaven and given a revelation of mysteries of things that were coming. Oh, let me, let me tell you something this morning, folks. The level of your joy is determined by your hunger and thirst after God. If you will hunger for the presence of God, if you'll hunger for his word and feed yourself on his word, if you'll hunger for, for the, the, the communion that we are allowed to have with Jesus Christ and the fellowship that we're invited into by the Holy Spirit, he said, uh, you, you'll be blessed indeed, joyful of those. Let, let me move on quickly. He said, joyful are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When you awoke this morning, God greeted you with brand new mercy for this day. Jeremiah said, your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Wow. You know, how many of you like that mercy thing? 
You like that? I don't know about you, but I, I need mercy. Yeah, go ahead and give God praise. That's all right. I need mercy. Years ago, Faye and I were uh, teaching a class down in Crawford Avenue many years ago. We, we were teaching the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and we had a little, um, a little uh, thing that they could answer questions on, and it would evaluate um, their giftings and, and uh, how the fruit was being evidenced in their life. And, uh, and we had a man in that class, a wonderful man. I, I don't know how, it, it's just kind of a freakish kind of thing. It's the only time I ever saw it happen. I've never seen it happen before or since. He scored zero on mercy. Zero. And, and I was kind of picking at him a little bit. I said, I said, do you realize that, 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 that you scored zero on mercy? He said, that's right, preacher. I don't have any and I don't want any. Of course, he was joking. He he <laughs> he really was. I, but I don't know about you. I need mercy. And Jesus said, "If you'll allow the fruit of the Spirit to operate in your life, and if you will just show mercy, compassion to others, then you're going to reap that back. You will obtain mercy. And if you don't ever show any mercy." Um, you can go ahead and figure that one out. <laughs> Let me go to the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart. Joyful are the pure in heart. They shall see God. I used to think that was after a while when you die in the great by and by, somewhere out there you're going to get to see God. I believe that's true. But I also believe that for the pure in heart, we can get a glimpse of God now. We may not be able to see all of his glory, but we will be able to see God. We'll be able to see his hand moving and working in our life and in circumstances that we don't fully understand or comprehend. But somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to live out that verse and know that all things do work together for good to those that love God and that are called according to his purpose. We'll see God. Amen. Then... Then he said, joyful are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, this obviously means that as a spirit-filled Christian, if you live in a contentious family that's always fussing and fighting, your presence ought to present something different from the fussing and fighting that everybody else is doing. That ought to be true in your neighborhood, on your job, and everywhere. But it means even more than that. To make peace is, is to share the gospel with other people around us. We see people who are at odds with God. They've not been reconciled to God yet. They're dying without God. They're, they're, they're in conflict with, with, with everything that, that God wants them to have. And and their lives are heading them in the wrong direction. And, and when we share the gospel, we're helping to bring them into peace with God. That's another way that we make peace. And God said, if you'll be, one, if you'll be a peacemaker, I'll be pleased to just call you sons and daughters of God, the children of God. Now let me get the last two quickly here. He said, joyful are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, this one is so tied, eight and nine are so closely associated that I'm going to go ahead and give you nine with it. 
Joyful are those uh, of you when, you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Now, if you live right and serve God in this world long enough, you're going to run into some opposition. It's, it's just a fact. It's just the way it is. They that live godly shall suffer persecution. That's a promise that none of us really like to claim. I never have gotten up early in the morning in my prayer time and said, well, where's that scripture about being persecuted? I think I'll claim that one for today. No, no, no. But it is a promise nonetheless. The scripture promises that if you live godly in this world, there's going to come some persecution. But here, don't lose your joy over it. Don't lose your joy over it if you're persecuted. Remember, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, the Lord's going to make sure that you understand you're going, to have a, you're going to have a blessing in the kingdom. In fact, he goes on to say that when people revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you, notice, falsely, <laughs> if they're saying all manner of evil against you and it's the truth, <laughs> Not much blessing in that, is there? <laughs> so make sure when, when, when they say all manner of evil against you that it's falsely, then, then he said, look at verse 12. I love this. I want you to get this in your spirit. Verse 12. Rejoice. Back, hey, we're talking about joy. This is an expression of joy. They've been persecuting me. They've been beating me down. They've been lying about me. They've been telling me, what am I supposed to do? Rejoice. <laughs> Praise the Lord and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God's not going to let you lose a beat. He's, he's got a marvelous record keeping system better than any computer system that we know of. He's got a book of remembrance. He's got a book with your name on it. Jesus said, you can't even give as much as a cup of cold water in my name and lose your reward. I'm going to see that you get paid for it. And guess what? <laughs> when people start persecuting you for my sake, I'm going to see that you really get a blessing for that. Great is your reward in heaven. So you ought to just rejoice. Jump up and down. Praise God. Glory to God. Amen. Rejoice. Year, years ago, back in the old days, back in the 70s, we used to vote on the pastor every four years. And the first cycle came around, we got voted on, we got 98%. The second cycle came around, we got 99 point something. I don't remember what it was. But long story short, there was only one vote in the church against us out of the whole congregation down on Crawford Avenue. We had one vote against us. I had no idea who that was, but Faye and I were visiting some of our senior adults one day, and we were visiting this one lady and her daughter, and, and she said to my wife, she said, Sister Bowen said, we really love you, and Brother Bowen said, but Brother Bowen, I voted against you, but we really love you. <laughs> now, if you want to walk in the flesh, you can get offended at stuff like that. You know what I did? I hugged her. I said, I'm not going to call her name, but I told her, I said, 
I am so thankful. I said, I really appreciate the fact you voted against me. She said, why? I said, because there's a scripture that says, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. I said, do you realize you saved me from that woe? <laughs> you, you saved me from that one. Praise God. Rejoice. Be happy. Just praise the Lord. Some of you get all bent out of shape over every little thing somebody says about you. Put something negative on Facebook about you, and you go nuts and bananas and try to defend yourself. That Jesus said, look, if you let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life and develop you like you ought to be developed, you'll rejoice and praise God. Hallelujah. We're not, we're not living like the world, which brings me to my second point. I've got to hurry here. <clears throat> second point is joy has to do with an absence of other things. In other words, you cannot have joy if your heart is full of this other stuff. Remember last Sunday when, when I started this thing on the fruit of the Spirit, I told you that in Galatians chapter 5, when Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, he contrasts that with the works of the flesh. Let me read them again. Back up to verses 19 through 21. And here's what he said. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like of which I tell you beforehand just as I also told you in the time past that those who practice such things do not or will not inherit the kingdom of God those are the works of the flesh now if you read that whole chapter you discover that the flesh and the spirit are at war against each other one with the other if you give yourself to the works of the flesh you're not going to have joy in your life. You, ju- you, can't ha- you cannot have the fruit of joy manifest in your life if your heart's full of envy and hatred and jealousy and all, this, all of that stuff. And, and, and if you give yourselves to the works of the flesh, he, talks, he starts off with lust of the flesh things, adultery and fornication and those things. If you give yourself to those things, and by the way, the enemy will tempt you in the flesh. He will come after the flesh because the appetites of the flesh are strong. But let me tell you, if you yield to those things, you may have a moment of pleasure, but you will not have joy. You just won't. The, the, the woman at the well is a, is a good example of that. Five husbands and finally living with another guy. Now, why do you think she was jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship? She was hungry for joy, but she couldn't find it. She couldn't even find lasting satisfaction because sin doesn't satisfy, but for a moment. Remember Moses, Hebrews chapter 11, when Moses would come to years, he chose to suffer the persecution, the affliction of the children of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There is a momentary enjoyment in the pleasures of sin, but remember, it is momentary. It is seasonal and it's gone. Plus, 
It leaves in its wake an aftermath of destruction, harm, damage. You see, the wages of sin are death. And so what Paul's saying, instead of, instead of following the works of the flesh, if you'll be filled with the Spirit, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? If we walk in the Spirit, if we live in the Spirit, if we, the Holy Spirit will lift us and give us that joy that we're really looking for. Can somebody say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And number three, let me give you three joy killers. There are more, but let me give you these three. These are real joy killers. The first one is sin. And I pretty well alluded to that when I read the works of the flesh. But sin, Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Sin will separate you from God. And you can't have joy if you're separated from God. So deal with the sin issue. Just deal with it. Take it to the cross. Get rid of it. Amen? Second thing is worry. Worry. And I guarantee you that I got some worriers in here this morning. You worried about everything. You just worry, 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 worry. And, and that's... That's a joy killer. It's, it's keeping you. Look what Jesus said. And by the way, in this Sermon on the Mount that I told you about, here's what he said in, in chapter 6, verse 25, the first part. He said, therefore I say unto you, do not worry. That's what Jesus said. By the way, folks, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. Don't do it. Do not worry. Look what he said in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying... Stop that stuff from coming out of your mouth. Some of you are prophesying all kind of doom, despair, and misery right into your future, talking about what you're worried about. Stop it. Jesus said, don't worry saying. And then finally, in verse 34, he said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Now, if you go back and, and study all those verses leading up to and encapsulated in and to the end of that, You'll discover that he's talking about, he's talking about um, uh, not worrying, just being as, as free as a bird in the air. He said, the birds, they, they, don't, they don't worry. They don't have any way of providing for the future. They can't, you know, store in barns or anything like that, but they, they don't worry. The, the flowers of the field, they don't worry. God takes care of them. He sends them rain and they, they don't worry. And then he talks about the, the major things, the three things. They're, they're very basic to life, food, clothing, and shelter. Talks about those. He said, don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Way back when we were starting our family in the 70s, and my, 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 uh, we, we got a hold of some information about um, world hunger and and in fact, the World Society of Scientists met in Geneva, Switzerland, and they predicted that by the middle of the 70s, that there would, there would be a worldwide famine and there'd be a shortage of food. There wouldn't be enough to feed your family. We were just starting. We, here we are with two little babies. And, and my wife started worrying about that, almost worried herself sick 
over how we're going to feed our children. And I was reading that stuff and believing it too. You know, here's, here's the smart people, what they said. <laughs> that was early 1970s. Here we are, 2016. I don't know how we've made it this far, but I look around this morning, it looks to me like everybody's been pretty well fed. <laughs> Somehow God takes care of us. We had to pray through that. We had to get victory over it. We had to rebuke that worry and that fear that was involved in it. But my mother-in-law had a very simple philosophy of life. I remember when we were talking about starting a family and we didn't feel like we could afford it. And she told me one day, she said, let me tell you something. God gives you one child, somehow you'll make it. God gives you two kids, somehow you'll take care of them. God gives you five kids, somehow you'll take care of them. God gives you 10 kids, somehow you'll take care of them. I worked for a man in Indiana, had 12 children. God took care of them. I don't know how he does it this morning, but folks, all of us are sitting here as a testimony that God somehow is taking care of us. We're breathing his air. We're drinking his water. We're eating his food right off of his planet. God's taking care of us. Amen. Don't worry. Don't worry. It doesn't, it's not going to help you. Stop worrying. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus said, don't worry. Make sure you get that message. Don't worry. Just, just stop it right there where you are. Just stop it today in Jesus' name. Not going to worry. Not going to worry about tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know who holds, holds tomorrow. And there's still a verse of Scripture in there that says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. And we can rejoice in that. And the last one I want to mention, there are more, but, but it's a thing of fear, and it's tied real close to this thing of worry. In fact, fear is, is probably, or worry may be a manifestation of that fear. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says the, the, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you're afraid this morning, if you've got a phobia, it did not come from God. So resist it, put it back, to the one who brought it to you. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Because you see, fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That word perfect means mature. You're, if, you're, if you're still struggling with this thing of fear, you just need to let love mature a little bit more in your life. And, and, and that'll, that'll take care of it, get you to the point where you don't, have to, you don't have to worry or be afraid anymore. That perfect love. Notice how these fruit of the Spirit build on one another. If you allow love to mature in your life till it gets rid of all that fear, then here comes joy just right behind it. Because if you have, if you have nothing to be afraid of and you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, praise God. You can rejoice in him. Stand with me, if you will, please. Praise God. <laughs> it's so important that we allow the Holy Spirit to develop this fruit within us. Because as Nehemiah said in chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. How many of you could use some more joy today? Some more strength. Amen.
Praise God. Well, he can give it to you. He can give it to you. He can give it to you. He can give it to you, regardless of what you're going through today. And I'm not trying to minimize what anybody's going through. I know some of you are fighting battles in the physical realm. I know some of you are fighting battles in the financial area of your life. I know some of you are fighting battles in, in relationships. And, and all of these things are true. But here's what you need to do. Keep, keep your joy up. It, did, you notice, did you notice in the 23rd Psalm, I, I don't know why, I, as many times as I've read it and quoted it and preached on it and everything else, uh, one morning this, this week when I was praying, it suddenly just hit me where that little phrase is placed in the 23rd Psalm that says, I will fear no evil. And I got to thinking about it. You know, if David had put that at the beginning of the Psalm, it would have made perfectly good sense to me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Therefore, I will fear no evil. He didn't put it there. It would have made perfectly good sense to me if he'd have said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. Therefore, I will fear no evil. That would have made good sense to me. But he didn't put it there. Look where he put it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That don't make any sense there, not in the natural. You walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil. He meant what he said because he said, you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. <laughs> You're going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I think he was planning to end it right there. He took the quill and put a period at the end of that. And all of a sudden, he got a second streak of inspiration. The Holy Spirit grabbed his quill, dipped it back in his ink, and he put P.S. Surely, Mr. Goodness and Miss Mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. That's so why I'm going to fear no evil. So let me come back to what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what it is, and I'm not trying to minimize it. I know it's big, and I know it's real, your struggle. But let me tell you something. Be like David and make your declaration. I will fear no evil because God is with me. He is with me. He is with me. He is with me. He's with you this morning, church. He's with you if you're struggling physically. He's with you if you're struggling in your marriage. He's with you if you're struggling in your finances. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. You don't need to fear any evil. While the heads are bowed, the eyes are closed, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. We're going to pray a little different. If you'd like for the Holy Spirit to just give you more joy in your life today, I'd like for you to just move this direction as close as you can come. If you have other needs, bring them to the Lord. If you need to repent of your sins, bring them to the cross. 
If you have problems or difficulties, bring that with you. But, but, but if you'd like, you just say, preacher, I just want to, I just want to come up here this morning and get in close because we're going to pray together. I, I just like for the Holy Spirit to, to work in, in a greater measure in my life to produce the fruit. I want the love, the joy, the peace, and all the rest that we're going to be talking. Just come on there. There's plenty of room. Just, just move this direction. If you can only move a foot or two, just by faith, just, just take that step and say, I want that. Lord, I want that. I'm hungering and thirsting for you this morning, Lord. I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you, Lord. I want, I want more of you. I'm hungry for you. I want your presence. I want your communion. I want your fellowship. I, I want to get close to you this morning, Lord. I'm, I'm thirsty for you. I'm hungry for you. He promised you'd be filled. You'd be filled. You'd be filled. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit that brings that joy, and that fullness of joy in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And the last song we sang right before I came to preach this morning was, was, was talking about just that, just giving ourselves to the Lord, just, just receiving from him. I want you just today just, just to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Fill me afresh and anew with your spirit. Holy Spirit, do your work in me this morning. I, I, I'm hungry for you. I, I want you to manifest. I want the fruit to grow in my life. I want, to, I want that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. I want, to, I want to be able to rejoice in every circumstance of my life, whatever it is. I don't want my circumstances to control me. I want, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to pray for you, and you pray with me, if you will, right now. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl that have come forward this morning and who are standing all over this congregation with their hearts open to you. And I pray, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, that you just open the windows of heaven, pour out your Spirit upon us this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, come now, I pray. Baptize us afresh and anew. Oh, Spirit of God, move from one side of this altar to the other today with your holy presence and, and do your work in our lives. Draw us into the presence of God. Fill us, O oh Lord, with your spirit. Anoint us, we pray. Let the fruit of the spirit develop and grow in our lives today. And we claim especially that fruit of joy today. Joy in the Lord. We know that you're with us. We know that you're with us today in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen.